Well, good morning, church family, and I hope that you are comforted by God's amazing grace here today. Someone said that um, grace is, and I love it, maybe you know the acrostic, God's riches at Christ's expense. And um, we want you to sense God's grace here today. And we want you to sense that it's amazing. We want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so it's such, such a privilege to worship with you today. My name's Randy, and I'm the lead minister here at the church. And uh, each Sunday we have a teaching time, and we're having a Bible study over the New Testament book of Acts. And so today we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there. Acts chapter 3, it's in the New Testament. You'll find that on page 911 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, please feel free to uh, take the copy that's in the pouch in front of you. Uh, I mention this every week because it's important that every person have their own copy of Scripture. So we'd like you to have one if you don't have one. Uh, so please receive it as a gift. I'm going to read. We're going to be uh, in Acts chapter 3, the entire chapter this morning. But this morning, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And if you look in the footnote, you'll see that that's 3 p.m., 3 in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is God's word. When she was 17 years of age, Johnny Erickson Tata was in a swimming accident and she became a quadriplegic. And she's 67 now, so for 50 years, she has been paralyzed from the neck down. And yet she's had an amazing life. She is an artist in both song and in canvas. Here are some of her pieces of artwork that she's able to uh, draw just with pen in her mouth. And she makes these wonderful, wonderful uh, portraits. Once she was at a conference, uh, 
And someone came up to her and said, Johnny, you just always look so wonderful. And you always have a smile on your face. How do you do it? And Johnny gave a sigh and said, do you really want to know? Yes, of course. And she paused. And she said, I don't. Would you like to know how my day started? Because it's my day every day. At 6 a.m., my husband, Ken, leaves. And there I remain in bed until 7 o'clock when a friend who is an assistant comes and she gets me out of bed. And when she gets in the house, while she's making the coffee, listening to all of this, listening to her, and I'm thinking to myself, I do not want to do this one more day. God, she's going to come in here and she's going to set me up in my chair after she bathes me and after she brushes my teeth and after she combs my hair. She's going to give me breakfast. She's going to get me on my way. And I just don't have it one more day, God. She said, in fact, I don't even have a smile. I don't even have a smile. I am absolutely spent. I'm empty. I don't have it. But God, I know you have a smile. So may I have your smile this morning? Would you just please give me your smile? And so when my friend comes in from the kitchen and opens that door and walks in and sees me, I turn and I look at her and I smile at her. And it is a smile sent straight from heaven. I don't do it. I can't do anything by myself. So, and she looked at her paralyzed legs in front of this person who originally asked the question. So, any joy that you see on my face today has been fiercely fought for and hard won. Now, that's been going on in her life for 50 years. Someone who is totally dependent on others to do for her what she can't do herself. Today we're going to look at the life of someone who was situationally, physically, and spiritually disabled. And this person had to trust others and another to do for him what he could not do himself. And in that moment of trust, he met God. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 3. In our series over the book of Acts, all of our titles in all of our Bibles call it the Acts of the Apostles. But as we're learning in these verses, we're seeing that the more appropriate title is the unstoppable acts of the resurrected king. 
Because Jesus is doing this. Jesus is acting. Jesus is working. Luke, who is the author of Acts, tells us this in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, when he says that in my first book, that's the Gospel of Luke. Remember, Luke and Acts, volume 1, volume 2, they go together. In my first volume, I told about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is that Jesus is not finished. He's continuing to work. He's continuing to act. He's continuing to, to restore this world to bring back the kingdom of God. And so, and so this is why we would call it the unstoppable acts of the resurrected king. Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, through his apostles, continues to reach this world to bring it to God. And in Acts chapter 3, Jesus performs a miracle that changes the course of someone's life, someone who could not walk. And in Acts chapter 3, we see the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6. Isaiah 35, verses 3 through 6. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Behold, your God will come and save you. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. That's what's going on in Acts chapter 3. So I, the big idea, the lesson that I want us to get if we miss every other lesson is simply this. When Jesus appears, when Jesus appears, your life can change for the good. When Jesus appears, your life can change for the good. Let me tell you why this is so important for us to remember. I think one of the greatest dangers to our walk with Christ is having a mature walk with Christ. Because see, we think we've kind of gotten to a point where we can just coast. And we've kind of gotten to a point where we just, you know, I, 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 I've, I've experienced all that I need to experience. I'm kind of at a lot of level of learning where I'm comfortable. I know what's going on when I come in and I sit down and I know the routine. And there, and there it is. Becomes a routine, doesn't it? And we just, and, and you know, I don't think we just intentionally get up and say, well, it's Sunday. Do you want to go to the routine? We don't say that. <laughs> but just kind of sneaks up on us. And that's not Christianity. Christianity is this. The Lord appears. The Lord appears. And my life changes for the good. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 3. Now, this chapter is very easily structured. In verses 1 through 10, uh, we're going to see the miracle that took place outside the temple. That's verses 1 through 10. And then in verses 11 through 26, we're going to hear a message that explains the miracle by the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, okay? So verses 1 through 10, the miracle outside the temple. In verses 11 through 26, the message Peter preached inside the temple. So let's talk about what happened outside the temple first. It first began with prayer. Verse 1, 
Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, three in the afternoon. So Peter and John were praying, and they go together. They go two by two because that's how Jesus taught them. Uh, the apostles, the early Christians, they still see themselves, and they appreciate their Hebrew heritage. So they're at the temple. It's a very familiar place. It's not like they said, well, hey, let's just break off and start our own religion. That's not what happened. The early disciples believed that because of Christ, God was at last fulfilling his promises. Uh, Israel was coming back from exile. They had been taken captive by previous empires. The Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks of late, the Romans. But yet God was unshackling them from Roman oppression. And yet he was doing it in a way never before witnessed. And so they're praying and God is acting. By the way, never stop praying. Never stop praying. We should always pray and never give up. I heard some wacko preacher somewhere, probably Oklahoma, who once said, <laughs> we, it takes one to know one, right? So, but I mean, no, this, this guy once said, now if you really have faith, you should only ask God once, because if you have to ask more than once, it means you don't have enough faith. Now there's a theological term for that, it's baloney. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus gave a parable. He said, always pray and never give up. Always pray and never give up. And we don't pray to bend God's will to our will. That's not why we pray. We pray to align our will with his will. So the best and scariest prayer that you can pray is, is thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because you never know what's going to happen around the bend. You never know. The Spirit has so flooded the lives of the believers and the apostles that they're living in a constant state of readiness, anticipation, dependence on God. What's going to happen today? Uh, and we might run into someone and the intersection uh, of our lives with their lives that we didn't know was going to happen when we got up this morning will create an opportunity as never before imagined like what happens in verse 2. And a man lame from birth was being carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate. Hmm. Now back then they had not passed the Americans with Disabilities Act. The disabled were ostracized in the ancient world, made fun of. One ancient piece of literature uh, called a disabled person half a man, which meant they were consigned to begging, which meant that beggars were typically unwashed, unshaven, hair uncut, and I don't know if you remember the story of King Saul of the Old Testament. He had a grandson who was crippled, and his name was Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And he called himself, he self-identified, he called himself, he used the phrase, a dead dog. This man in Acts chapter 3 could very well have said that about himself, or at least thought that about himself. He was dependent on his friends, 
who carried him, who placed him. And as far as, as, far as this guy knew, his life was as good as it was going to get. That was it. His life consisted of being put in the same spot every day where the traffic flow of worshipers came and went and he would beg and that's his life. That's his life. Hmm. And notice where he is. He's at the temple precinct. (laughs) Think about that for a minute. They're going in to worship. He's outside worship. You get the irony? Near the beautiful gay sat one in abject poverty. Worshippers are inside, but he's outside. What is that about? What is that about? So our staff was having lunch a couple weeks ago, and I was telling them about this passage of Scripture that I was going to preach and I said hey I've got this idea I want to share with you just tell me what you really think of it okay could be preaching on Acts chapter 3 and so how about if we you know do some performance art okay performance art how about if we recruit someone and we ask him not to shave for several days and not shower and put on some old clothes and stick them right out there, right out front, right out on the porch. You just have them sit there on an old blanket and just sit there and have a sign, cardboard sign. Huh? How about, what do you, you know, and just, and, and as people come in, and what do you, what do you think about that, guys? And it got awkwardly quiet around the table. <laughs> it was, it was like, you know, they didn't say it, but they were thinking, okay, the doctor said that he would be this way if he survived. Okay. So it's just, you know. And, and, then, and then someone on our staff said, well, I mean, thank you, boss, but the, the, there may be a little hiccup with that plan. And, and here's the hiccup. The problem is you all because of you. Because you know what would happen. You'd see someone in that condition outside, and then you'd, a bunch of people would come over and say, well, what's going on? Let's talk about this. Let's help you. Let's, let's take you in and everything. And they'd take the person in and there. And then the person would have to explain, well, I'm really not in trouble. I just am doing performance art because Randy asked me to do that. And can, can you actually take me back out? Because, you know, he kind of needs me out there. And then, so you would do that and then kind of, and then you would kind of be annoyed at the pastor who cries wolf. And so, and then the moment you would put the person back out there, then someone else would come along with their small group and it would be like lather, rinse, repeat. And so I would have an entire room of people annoyed with the pastor who cries wolf. And who wants that? So they were trying to protect me, so they say. Um, and then... Yet another uh, staff person, uh, whose initials are Justin Craig, said, <laughs> um, he said, well, you know, why don't you be the one to be out there? 
you know? And you know, don't shave, you know, un- kept the face and cardboard sign and button down collar and all, you know? So there's one underneath here, by the way. So, yeah, yeah. And so, anyway, um, we're looking for a new family life minister, by the way, <laughs> taking applications, but. But I think they're right. I mean, the minute someone would be in need out there, I've seen it. It's happened, you know? It's happened. We would take care of that need because that's how, that's how the Holy Spirit rolls through his people at our church family. Amen. Um, but, amen. Yeah, amen. 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 Come on. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Here's the deal, though. We have a lot of people who come through our doors every week, and they come into this room, and, and they, they're able to get inside, but in their heart, they feel like they're still on the outside. They're still feeling broken. They're feeling immobile. And everybody, everybody in chapter 3 thought that the best place for that man was outside the temple. Everybody. Everybody else thought that his place was not in here, but out there. Everybody else thought that he needed to be where he could bring home some coin and that that was better than community, worship with God's people under the power of God's spirit, being taught by God's word in God's place. Everybody else thought that. Everybody else looked away. (laughs) Not me. He's not like me. Maybe he sinned. Maybe he deserves it. That's his life. That's his plight. He's stuck. We're sorry. Everybody else. Everybody else but Peter and John. Verses 3, 4, and 5. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. Now, the book of Acts comes to us by way of the Greek language. And literally, that sentence in verse 6 begins with the words, silver and gold. Silver and gold. Silver and gold. He looks at him. Silver and gold. He gets his hopes up. Silver and gold. And then he says, have I none? Typical preacher. Hopes rise, hopes fall. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I want to give to you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, get up. And Peter took him by the right hand. And there was no dramatic music or no drum roll or no slow motion special digital effects. Peter just grabs the guy by the hand, yanks him up, and immediately this guy jumps and he leaps. And look, the people, he does cartwheels all the way into the temple. It was the most amazing thing to be seen. They recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Church family, sometimes what we think we want isn't what we really need. This guy thought, as well as the people, well, he just needs money. He just needs some coin. 
He really needed healing, and not just physical healing. He needed community with God. And Peter says to him, I don't have this, but I have this, and this is more valuable, and you don't know that yet, but you're, you're about to. And his healing brought him into the community. And it's not that he just needed to be able to walk, you know? Oh, if I could only walk, I'd be happy. You know better than that. You walk in the last 30 days, have you been unhappy? You see what I mean? He needed more. This man's healing helped him leap over the stigmas and stereotypes to enter true community. You see, healing a physical need can open a person to a spiritual need. The real need, their eternal need. And that leads us to Peter's message in verses 11 to 26. Like Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter's message follows this supernatural event. And, And the first thing out of Peter's mouth in verse 12 was just shock and surprise. He was shocked at how they could wonder how this man was healed. Verse 12, men of Israel, why why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? I mean, you should know better, Peter says. We're not strangers at this place. You've seen us here before. We're men just like you. You should know by our lives and by our actions Who is actually responsible for this man's healing? And he goes straight to Jesus. Verse 13, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus. So Peter Peter says, you know this Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth. This is the Messiah. And Peter is tying what happened in this miracle and the message to follow God's grand history of dealing with his people. I mean, what's happening here ties us in with our entire history as the people of God going all the way back to Abraham to whom God said, I will bless you and through you all nations will be blessed. Now, The way I've been helped to understand this message is to consider all of the names that Jesus uh, is called in these verses. So, for instance, Peter calls Jesus a servant, verse 13. And then verse 14 and 15, holy and righteous one and author of life. And then verse 22, the prophet like Moses. And then verse 25, the seed or the offspring of Abraham. Let's just quickly go through each of these names as we consider his message, beginning with servant in verse 13, that God has glorified his servant, Jesus. Literally, that word means child, God's own child. And the implication is that Jesus was no mere mortal. Jesus was and is the eternal divine servant the servant who put on flesh and sought us out and then proclaimed that he came not to come to get our service, but to be our servant. 
as he himself said in Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. One author put it this way. God is not looking for assistance because the gospel is not a help wanted ad. It's a help available ad. God is not seeking people to serve him. Rather, he is seeking people to serve and then who will let him serve others through them. And Jesus served this man through the apostles, performing this miraculous sign. And yes, not all were healed because healings were signs. God's signature, God's signature to confirm God's truth. And what truth is that? That this servant is none other than the holy and righteous one, the author of life. And Peter says, that's the one that you delivered to Pontius Pilate. You know that. That Jesus, the, the one that you traded for Barabbas, the murderer. Verse 14, you denied the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. You traded the life giver for a life taker. And Pilate was ready to release him, but you wanted to crucify him. You took his life. I mean, Peter does not let up. You did this. You, you killed him, but God raised him. And we've seen this. We are witnesses, and it is by faith in this name that this man is healed and God has taken the initiative in all of this. And do you see how God is the subject of these actions here in verses 13 and following? Verse 13, God has glorified Jesus. Verse 15, God has raised Jesus. Verse 18, God has kept his promises in the death of Jesus. Verse 20, God has sent times of respect. Refreshing in the sending of his Messiah. God has spoken about times of restoration. God has raised up a prophet like Moses. And God will bless the families of the earth through Jesus. God's done this. God has done this. And so, you know, when we say, well, why doesn't God heal everyone? <laughs> the question assumes that we know better than God what would bring true joy and happiness. And the fact of the matter is, church family, God isn't any happier with this broken world than we are. And, and this miracle is a sign that God wants change. Because God did not create this world with pain or blindness or disease or death. All of that has come through the corruption of sin. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Miracles are not an expansion of the natural order, but a return to the natural order. Jesus' healings are the only natural things in a world that is unnaturally broken and wounded. And so do you see when we live in our state of stuck for so long, we can just, we experience gospel amnesia where we forget, we forget that we serve a God who can break in. Listen, if you believe the first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
you should have no trouble believing any and all miracles in the Bible. God healed this man through his spirit, operating in the life of the apostles. And when you think about it, this man's life resembled the nation of Israel. Forty years lame and stuck in a wilderness of immobility, not being where he was called to be. And now there's hope. And Jesus, and only Jesus, has brought this about. So now what? Verse 19, Peter says, repent. Repent. Repent, therefore. It's not enough to admire the miracle. You must accept the Messiah. Jesus did not come for us to merely like him. He wants us to follow him. Because he is Israel's true king. And he is the world's only true emperor. The crucified, resurrected, and ascended high king is no absentee landlord. And just because you can't see him doesn't mean he's not in charge. His spirit is here. And this sign proves it. Therefore, repent. Now, that's a church word, isn't it? But here's what it means. It simply means to turn. Turn. Repentance is about turning from and turning to. On Friday nights at Celebrate Recovery, this is how we put it. Voluntarily submit to any and all changes God wants to make in my life and humbly ask Him to remove my character defects. That's principle five. Voluntarily submit. He's the, Jesus is not a consultant. He's the king. And he wants us to follow him. Someone said repentance is a human response that depends on divine resources. And, and thus to turn to the holy and the righteous one without turning from our unholy and unrighteous ways is just silly. It's just nonsense. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And this miracle was not just done for the man's benefit. It was done for the benefit of Israel. You've seen what Jesus has done in and through this man. This Jesus whom you crucified, God raised now you must repent, verse 19, that your sins may be blotted out. That's a great word picture there. Because you see, in the ancient world, you know, paper in the ancient world was made uh, of the papyrus plant. And so what they would do is they would take the reeds of the papyrus plant and they would create kind of a basket weave and then they would smash that, and when it dried, you could write on it. But it was a product such that the ink didn't immediately grip into the surface. It kind of just rested on the top until it dried. And so, you know, it was a little cumbersome. You had to wait for the ink to dry before you proceeded. But on the other hand, if you made a mistake, you could just wipe the papyrus clean and start over like a marker board. Huh. What would it be like 
What would it be like to know that the marker board of your life was clean? Your past, your hurts, your habits, your disobedience. I could not be your pastor if this were not true. That times of refreshing may come your way. So, so my slate is truly clean. And, 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 you know, it's not like the marker boards that we see where you can tell that someone once wrote, right? And so then you, you know, it leaves kind of a shadow of what you wrote. And then, you know, do you have to get a spray solution then to really wipe that clean? And then if not, you just take paint and start over. And that's, not, that's not this. That's not this. This is clean, clean. This is conscience clean. Your heart's clean. You got a clean soul and a clean spirit. I'm telling you, that's, that's healing. That's real healing. That's healing for this life and the life to come. Listen, what I'm about to say, I didn't make up. This came from Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 2, verse 5, Jesus healed a paralytic. Many of the miracles that we see in the, in the book of Acts are miracles that Jesus himself performed when he was in the flesh, in the Gospels. And, and that's intentional because Jesus is continuing his work. But in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, before he healed a paralytic, he looked at him and he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. That was the very first thing he said to the paralytic. And then he healed him. That's Christianity. Christianity is not rise up and walk. Christianity is your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And no one else, no other king can do that except Christ himself. That's the promise in these verses. But with the promise comes a threat. Verses 22 and 23. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. Now, if that sounds exclusive, it's because it is. And someone might ask, Yeah, but what about Gandhi? I mean, he wasn't a Christian, but he was a good person. Absolutely. Absolutely, he was a good person, a leader. But you see, the assumption behind the question is that Christians believe only good people get into heaven. Like, for example, other Christians. But Christianity doesn't teach that at all. No one is good. No one is righteous. No one is holy. We're stuck. We need help. All of us. Jesus is our help. Christianity claims that Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, is the most qualified, most powerful person who can help. If all you have to go on is your own goodness, do you know that's actually more exclusive? Because whose standard of goodness are we talking about then? 
See, Christianity can't be whatever we think it is. You can't delete the claims of Christ, and you can't delete the resurrection of Christ without destabilizing Christianity as a whole. We who are Americans, we kind of tend to like to customize our Christianity to our taste. We kind of like it like we like our frozen yogurt. Well, I'm going to put a little bit of this in the cup here and a little bit of this in that cup, and we've got all these different flavors that don't taste like anything. And that doesn't make sense. If I were a member of the board of Greenpeace and I came out and I then said that climate change is a hoax, they're going to ask me to resign. And I might say, well, you're just narrow-minded. And they would say, no, we have boundaries. And they would be right. And the same with Christianity. And by the way, Jesus' exclusiveness is because his whole heart is he wants to bless us, and no one else is able to come through. No one but our high king, Jesus. That's why Peter concludes in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So, so there. <laughs> and do you know what happened after the so there? <laughs> Peter and John got arrested. And that's in chapter 4. And that's for another time. But let me wrap this up by just asking this question. Who are you in this story? Who are you? Are you Peter and John? Think about it. Christ is using these apostles, once cowards, as his agents of change. You, you are not beyond being used by God. It doesn't matter what your past was. It doesn't matter if you denied him. It doesn't. God wants to use you. And the apostles are very well aware that Jesus is the one doing the work. And that's why they're fiercely and humbly confident because they know who is working in and through them. Maybe you're here today and you identify with the, the person who was healed, this crippled, this lame man, this disabled. Well, do you know God can use your healing? God can use your restoration to arouse the curiosity of others. Isn't that what happened here? I mean, the message here is if God, you know, people look at your life and say, if God helped you, there's hope for me. And there is. And that's the point. In his time, after 40 years, man, after that, that man thought that that was his life. But no, the Lord appears and his life was changed for the good. And so can yours be. Peter and John, are you this man? What about the temple? Let's talk about just the idea of the temple. This is important because what Luke is teaching us here is a tale of two temples. You see, the temple that Peter and John went to in Jerusalem was actually a wicked and corrupt place. The temple of the evil high priest Caiaphas. The temple that Jesus himself confronted. That's one temple. 
The other temple is the temple of the spirit-filled flesh and blood church of the living God. His church, this church, this church, and in Christ's church, no one who seeks God should remain outside. No one. We should be known as the place where healing happens. And we should be able to say to our community, you need counseling? We can help. Do you need job training? We can help. Do you need ESL classes? We can help. Do you need groceries? We can help. Do we need, need a safe place? We can help. Do you need parenting insights? We can help. Do you need community? We can help. Do you have doubts about Jesus, about Christianity? Bring them. We can help. Do you have an addiction? We can help. Do you desire a fresh start? We can help. Do you have a vision to help others? We can help. We can, that is our calling here because God has blessed us and he's given us more of a blessing uh, than, than we can use on our own. We've got plenty to share. There's plenty to go around. Oh, man. Well, then there's the audience's perspective, right? Those who saw this wonder take place and heard the message. Here's the word for you if you're identifying with this audience. The word for you is, it's decision time. Make a decision. And no decision is a decision. Hmm. King Jesus does not merely seek your appreciation. He demands your submission because he is the king. And he has come to bless you. Verse 26, do you want to be blessed by the high king or not? He did not come in violence. He came in peace. He came to bless. Why wouldn't we want the blessing of God? There's more than enough to share. When Jesus appears, our lives can change for the good. So Johnny Erickson Tata was in Oklahoma City after the bombing that took place there in the 90s. The contact person who met her said, we're so happy that you're here, Johnny. And she said, well, thank you, why? And the contact person said, Johnny, when people walk up to you in your wheelchair and see you handle your personal crisis with that smile of yours, it speaks volumes to them. It assures them that they can handle their crisis too. We need people like you here, and we need you to go out and find more individuals like you who can assist us. And then she says this, wouldn't it be great on any given Sunday morning to see people with white canes and wheelchairs and walkers come through the doors of our worship gatherings. And wouldn't it be something if we all turned around in our seats, in our congregations, and we exclaimed, oh my goodness, we are so glad to see you here. We need people like you in our church. Wouldn't that be something? And you all know the answer to that question. Yes, it would. So there.
Let's pray.